been a while since we've kind of gathered together like that, and we wanted, it was, yeah, Sophia's just an excuse for us to hang out together. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. That's cool. So anyway, I'm glad. Uh, and those of you who are watching online, I wish you could come and have tasty, tasty snacks, but that's okay. We're glad that you're here with us uh, today and, and watching. And by the way, my name is David, if you don't know me. I serve on the pastoral staff, and uh, for the next 30 minutes, I'll be your guide, your Sherpa of Scripture. And we're going to be in Second uh, Samuel chapter 5 again. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you may want to turn there or punch that uh, one in. If not, that's cool. I'll have it up on the screen for you as well um, so that you'll have something to read along with. And I'm in the process of, well, no, I was going to say I'm in the process, but I'm not. Um, I feel like we're squeezing a lot out of this chapter, Second um, Samuel chapter 5, but every time I'm, you know, prepping something, I feel like the Lord is giving me the next week, too. Which, you know what, I will take that. I, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes, I, I, I've used this phrase before um, with some of you, and you've heard this before, but when you're preaching, it's like having a baby on Sunday only to find out you're pregnant on Monday, right? But there are some times that that sermon prep, it, it's coming out breach. I'm telling you, that baby wants to come out sideways, and you got to work for it. And there's a whole lot of women going, oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. No, you're right. You're right. I'm making an analogy based on observation, not on personal experience. So this is the time for David to move on quickly. So anyway, yeah. Uh, but the point is, is that when, when the Lord chooses to speak on something, um, I want to pay attention to that, and if he's got more to say out of a particular passage, we're just going to spend some more time there, um, and there's been some good things that, are, that have come out of this verse. Um, at, at some point, uh, I think what I'll eventually end up doing is taking this chapter and making it into a series that uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what he wants to do, but I've, I've really enjoyed um, going through this because the Lord keeps pointing some things out. So let me, let me just do a quick reminder of where we are historically within the narrative of itself. Um, David has been made king. He has won a civil war um, within Israel. He's captured Jerusalem and has made it his capital. And now uh, here in, in, in chapter 5, the Philistines, the uh, country to his west, is knocking. Um, and they're knocking on the door with ill intentions, okay? So um, he needs to have some type of response uh, you know, to this. Well, essentially it's an invasion. There's no other way to describe it. And so what I want to do is I want to read through the, the story again, uh, this particular segment. Um, it's called a pericope, by the way. I try to give you some um, uh, education along the way, but whenever you take a passage of Scripture and, and you put... Uh, some boundaries around it, a beginning and an end. It's called a pericope, and so I'm working with a particular pericope. It's just fun to say. Say it with me, pericope. Pericope, yeah, yeah, I know. You know, amaze your friends. You know, hey, I know Greek, and you can tell your friends at parties or whatnot. Just kidding. All right, <coughs> so I'm gonna try to connect some of what we've been talking about to the previous sun Sundays, and then I wanna offer a thought just so you have an idea of where we're going. So let's um, start here uh, again in verse 17. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. The, uh, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. 
So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So this is, you know, we've been talking about this, this idea that David inquired of of the Lord. And remember, to inquire of the Lord is very different than to make a request. Because when you're doing, uh, when you're making a request of the Lord, you're asking the Lord to do something. But when you're making an inquiry, you're asking the Lord for his guidance on something you're going to do. So the, the difference here is in the actor. If, God, if you're asking God to be the actor, that's a request. If you are the actor and you're asking for his guidance, that's an inquiry. Okay, So you've got these two things that are going on here. And so the idea is who the actor is. And, and I would just, I, I, I said this before, I think that we can't talk about this enough. So when you're in the midst of your, your prayer time, or if you're um, finding that certain prayers are going unanswered, one of the questions you could ask yourself is, am I really making a request here, or am I inquiring of the Lord? What, what is it that I, that I really want um, you know, from my time with him, when I'm spending time in his presence, when I'm seeking after him? Am I making a request, or am I making an inquiry? I think it's really important. So here we have this invasion force that's, that's coming in. The Philistines um, are, uh, are threatening uh, Israel's borders, and so David makes this inquiry. And, and, I, and I love this because he not only asks the question, shall I go attack, but will you deliver them into my hands? I think that's really important. And I love the fact that the Lord answered him. And that answer comes after years and years of relationship. And so I don't know about you, but I love it when the Lord actually answers. Makes it very clear. Moving on. <clears throat> so David went down to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. <laughs> just, just black and white. Eh, he whooped them. There it is. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perazim, which means the Lord breaks through, or the Lord breaks out. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. And there's, there's some symbolism that's going on there and the fact that when, when an army is beaten so badly that they leave their idols behind, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a, um, a slur against them that one god is better than the other, okay? So that would have been a very common thing within ancient Near East. We've talked about that in previous weeks. So we have this battle. Then what's interesting is something else happens. I love this. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the Valley of Pham as if they didn't have enough, right? Uh, I think there's more about saving face here than anything else, but we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit later. So David inquired of the Lord again, right? He inquired of the Lord. But here's the interesting thing. And the Lord answered, right? We don't know what the inquiry was. We just know that David made the inquiry. The Lord answered, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to to Gezer. Uh, We're going to talk about that one uh, again later. It's a really, really interesting story. But essentially, the Philistines got whooped again, right? You know, once isn't enough. Um, so I think, I think we're going to come back around to that. Interesting. But today, I want to walk back to the start. 
When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Um, This word here, stronghold, means just that, stronghold or fortress. It can mean either one of those, and it's translated as such within the Old Testament. You can either see stronghold or you're going to see fortress, and so it's translated interchangeably. So keep that in mind. Now, there's a lot of discussion, believe it or not, and a lot of debate around the identity and the location of this stronghold, okay? So there's a couple of things that are going on here that we need to pay attention to because um, this speaks to how the Old Testament actually communicates stuff to us. So it might be Jerusalem, okay? So remember, in the previous, in the previous little pericope, we have this um, story about David Uh, conquering Jerusalem and taking it as his capital and making additional fortifications to it. So when we read that in the text, it's a very uh, natural thing to assume that he went down to uh, Jerusalem. But what's so fascinating about that is that it already said that he had moved in. So something feels kind of off there, right? So we've got this idea, he moves into the stronghold. I mean, it certainly qualifies, but there's a bigger problem it says that David went down to his stronghold. Okay, so quick thing about uh, Old Testament writers. You never, ever go down to Jerusalem. doesn't matter where you are in the country. You always go up. Always. Now, most of the time, um, it means that it's a higher, holier place because that's where the temple of the Lord is. So you always go up. Temple of the Lord doesn't exist there at this moment in time. But the Old Testament writers never use the term go down to Jerusalem. You always go up. Now, interestingly enough, it's also in the hill country. And so typically speaking, if you're, if you're traveling from anywhere, you kind of end up going up. I don't think it's the highest peak um, in that, uh, that particular part of the country. But the point is, the type of city it is, you never see in the Old Testament Anybody going down to Jerusalem, you always go up. So if the Old Testament writer said David went down to his stronghold, that's a pretty good indicator they're not talking about Jerusalem. Is this making sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake. Yeah, it, it's, an, it's an interesting little um, kind of a, a side note. Um, the stronghold, a stronghold, I should say, is mentioned in a couple of other places. You can read about it in First Samuel 22 in 1 Samuel 24, and it's likely a place called Adullam. And what's interesting is that if you look on a map where Adullam is located, it is south and slightly west of Jerusalem, so it would be down the hill country. That would make sense. He went from Jerusalem down to his stronghold. And so you have two things going on. One, it's, it's uh, uh, from a, a point of view of, a view of language, it's... Um, He's going from the high holy place down to something else, but more importantly, geographically, he's moving down the hill country, okay? So I know, I know what it's like here in the United States. Whenever you go north, you go up. Whenever you go south, you go down. That's not what's happening here, okay? There's something else that's happening. So it's likely Adullam. Now, interestingly enough, Adullam is not too far from the Philistine border. And I really like this about David. Because David knows that he, he needs to take him on. And so he goes down to his stronghold, and it just happens to be not too far from the Philistine, Philistine border. 
This is a guy who's itching for a fight, right? You don't, you don't run away from him you know, if, you're, if you're not. You know, he's, he's going right down towards it. He is heading towards um, the, the source of the conflict. And it's interesting that Adullam is just south of the battle site. So he's positioning himself strategically in order to engage the enemy. Those of you who play video games, you know you're going in the right direction when you encounter the enemy, when you encounter the resistance, right? This is what David's doing. David's after it. He, he's just that kind of guy. He wants to, to chase after this. He wants to take care of business. <coughs> so it's interesting to me, historically and, and geographically, um, what's happening here. We've, we've got a lot of interesting things within the text, and we have a lot of things militarily that are happening um, in this passage. But I want you to consider what's really important here. And, and w- I think we need to talk about this. And, and there's some reasons why. We're going to get to them here in a second. <clears throat> but David heard about a threat. And what did he do? So he caught wind that the Philistines were basically attacking his borders. They were invading his borders. And what did he do with the threat? This is really, really important stuff. And like I just said, first thing is he went towards it. He went towards it, very likely. If it's a dome, and I think that it is, um, it's, it's almost on that border, and he is ready to rumble. So he goes towards the threat. But secondly, and I think this is really important, and I want you to hear this, he went to his stronghold. So not, not only did he go towards the threat, but he went to his stronghold, uh, stronghold took his forces, and from the stronghold he planned he inquired of the Lord, and then he mounted his offensive. You see this? I mean, this is a really important strategic thing that he does as he goes down to his stronghold. He's not by himself. He goes down to his stronghold. He makes his plans. He has a list of options in front of him. I can either run away, I can wait for him, or I can go after him. So he makes the plan, I think I need to go after him. That's kind of his personality. Then he inquires of the Lord. Lord, what shall I do, and will you deliver him into my hands? And from there, he mounts his offensive. He goes and he takes him on in the valley that's just north of his stronghold. I mean, there's an order to these things. Here's the interesting thing to me, is that he didn't wait for the battlefield to inquire of the Lord. He did it ahead of time in his stronghold. You see that? This is incredibly important, because he does the pre-work early, And he does it from a place of strength. Does this make sense? So he does it from his stronghold. And here's, here's, I think, one of the big lessons, at least for me. How many times do we face some type of challenge in our own lives, but we wait until we get onto the battlefield before we inquire of the Lord? Anybody else guilty of that? Because I know that I am. I don't do it from a place of strength. I have lots of question marks. I'm standing in the midst of the mess, and that's when I inquire of the Lord. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. That's not the pattern that David gives us. He's very patient. He takes it step by step. Let me go here. Let me make my plans. We'll inquire of the Lord, and we'll make sure that we're moving in the right direction, and then we'll take it on. But we're not patient, are we? We would rather get in the midst of it, and then look at God and go, help! Which, by the way, is perfectly reasonable. That will happen sometimes. It's my favorite prayer to pray. Help! 
But when you have the opportunity to really kind of think things through, there is wisdom in this pattern. Find that, that place of strength, make your plans, check in with God, and then do what you set out to do. But we don't do that. We turn to the Lord at the very last minute. By the way, I'm not shaming anybody here. I, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. But we don't want to be on the battlefield asking God, is this okay? From time to time that will occur and then you can, you can pray help. But I think all of this shows David's strategic wisdom. Now please remember, he is not green at this. He has spent years as a military commander. He is battle-tested. He is experienced. This is the guy you want to follow into combat. This is the guy who knows how to win battles. I, I'm, I fully believe that he probably could have gone off and taken care of business all by his lonesome without inquiring of the Lord. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he's a man after God's own heart. He's loyal to God, and so he checks in with his God first. I think that's wise. And maybe there's a lesson for us that we too should check in with the Lord from time to time, maybe before we get into the mess of it. So here's my question. Here's the thing that I've been thinking about. This is what, what I think the Lord has been stirring in me when it comes to this. Um, because one of the reasons why we come here is to improve our discipleship. Yeah, we're here to celebrate the things that the Lord has done, and that's why we open up the Word to see what the Lord has done in history and, and uh, to uh, take those lessons and apply it to our own lives. But I think this story actually illuminates something very important. And I think it's going to be more important as time goes on here. So when life becomes challenging, because you know it will be, right? When life becomes challenging, where do you go? Where do you go? Or maybe we can ask this question is, where is your stronghold? Where is that? Some of you are like, well, I don't know if I have a stronghold. I get it. But I think it's a really important question. David went down to his stronghold. He had one. It existed. And it was at that place that he did his, his homework, his pre-work. It's that place that he went into his prayer closet and, and, and connected with, with his God. And it's from that place of strength that he mounted his offensive. So where's your stronghold? Where is it that you go? Now, the good Christian answer, because there is a Christian answer for this, the good Christian answer is God or Jesus. My stronghold is God, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, after all, Proverbs 18, right? You've seen this. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Praise God, we need that one, right? And I know from time to time I need to run into that tower. I probably need to run in there more often than I really care to admit, but it's true. And so we, the name of the Lord is a, is, a, is a fortified tower or a strong tower in some translations. But this idea is that, you know, I, you know, where do I go? Well, I go to God. He's the strong tower. I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a great, great place to start. But there's another question here is who's going with you? Because David didn't do that by himself. David's armies broke out against the Philistines. So he wasn't alone. 
you know, I know, I've seen the really great kung fu movies too where you have one super martial artist against, you know, 10,000 warriors. And, you know, I've seen those too. But that's not what the biblical record is. The biblical record is much, much more realistic. So David goes to his stronghold and he's with his advisors. And so the question is, is who is with you in the stronghold? He doesn't go by himself. He has at least part of his army. <laughs> I saw this the other day. First rule of a gunfight is to bring a lot of guns and to invite all your friends and have them bring all their guns too. That's David's approach here. He, he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my army and, and anybody else who's willing to come with me kind of a thing. We need to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And, the, and the, the point is, it is unwise to try to fight alone. It's just silly. From time to time, you may have to do it. There was a moment in David's career where he had to stand alone against Goliath. I get that. But for the vast majority of engagements that he had, he was backed by his army, what we later on um, find out that he calls his mighty men. We're going to talk about those in a few weeks. I'm kind of excited about that because there's some really interesting stories that go on there. But the point is, is that he doesn't do it by himself. It is unwise to do it alone. Now, um, there's a, a famous passage that gets read, I think, at every single wedding. Um, and it's not uh, uh, 1 Corinthians love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. It's this one in Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And, and so what the thought is here is that you've got two people who are together, and that third cord is typically God. Which, remember, if, you know, if two or more are gathered in my name, there, are, there I am also. That's an allusion to this. So here we have a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And this, this goes down to my point, is that if yours, one of you and one other person and God, you're a church. Period. You a church. You got three of you, because God is there. Two or more gathered in my name, there I am also. So you don't want to do these things alone, and the Old Testament testifies to this, as does the New Testament. But we try to do this all the time. We try to go it alone. There is something, I think, truly American about pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and take care of business on your own. Okay, I get that that, that might be American, but it's not biblical. Can we just be honest about that? From time to time, you may have to stand on your own, but that's not the preference. The preference is that you do this with others. Life is to be lived with others. None of us are gifted enough to do it on our own. This is why Paul, in the New Testament, talks about the body. And we need the other parts of the body. We need to do these things together. It's not, um, it's not nice to have, it's kind of a requirement. And over the years, I've made an observation Maybe you have too. <clears throat> and I don't, I don't mean this to be judgmental. This is just something I've observed over time. But I've noticed that when individuals or when families um, experience difficulty or challenge, one of the natural things they do is they withdraw from the people around them. Have you noticed this? And I get it. I really do. Because I think um, we don't want to appear weak or vulnerable. 
or like we don't have it all together. We don't, we don't want to appear like that. None of us do. It makes us uncomfortable. And I think that that emotion is embarrassment or you're ashamed of it for whatever reason. We don't like that feeling and so we withdraw so we don't have to feel that way. But here's the truth. Guess what? You are vulnerable and you don't have it all together. Nobody does, if we're honest. (laughs) So you might as well be vulnerable with the people who actually care about you. I'm baffled by this pattern of behavior that I've seen over and over again, this this idea of withdrawal. And yet, on the other hand, I'm also, I'm not baffled by it. Because here's what I think. I think the enemy wants us to be isolated. I think the enemy loves when you don't have anybody else around you to encourage you or to support you. I think he loves that. Because, I don't know about you, but there's like these mental tapes that get played over and over in my head. And you probably have them too. And they were put there by somebody else. It's got nothing to do with you. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. Whatever it is, it's always not enough. Or the opposite. Who do you think you are? You think you can handle this? Who do you think you are? Mm. I think the enemy loves when we're isolated and he could feed us that line of baloney. I think he loves that. He wants us isolated. When we experience, I didn't say if, I said when. When we experience difficulty, challenge, even tragedy, what we need most is care and encouragement. Everybody needs that. Do you ever notice there are certain people that you've come across, they just have this natural ability to encourage you. It's kind of like they speak your language. And you just kind of want to hang out with those people all the time. You can be that for somebody else. Because everybody you know is fighting some type of battle. Everybody. And everybody could use some care and some encouragement. Now, it's really easy to talk about this like on a family level or on a church level. Um, I was just with another pastor the other day and uh, he was telling me how he was talking to uh, another pastor that we both know and that pastor said, how you doing? So my friend said, yeah, I'm doing great, you know, just fine, blessed, too blessed to be stressed, whatever it happens to be. And it's, his buddy leans in a little bit closer and says, no, nah, man, how you really doing? Yeah, it's that kind of care. How we get that? But you, el- you know who else needs that kind of care and just encouragement? How about that cashier at the grocery store who does not want to be there that day? They need it too. How about the person who's um, working the car wash in this heat, <laughs> that person needs some encouragement. And everybody that you talk to, everybody that you encounter, even on the most casual level, 
needs care and encouragement. That might not be your natural bend. I get that. I get it. I understand. here's, Here's a great way to start. Be kind. Just be kind. I've been tracking this now for a while. But it concerns me when I walk into the gas station and there's something that's wrong. Like, okay, I'm going to confess now so I can preach, okay? I like frozen Cokes from Come and Go. I love them. Love the shoes, love the purse, love them. Like to go in there, especially in the heat. The other day I walked into one and the machine wasn't working. It was cycling through, and it wasn't frozen. It was just coming out stuff, and there was a little, you know, a little light. And I walk in, I'm like, oh, why is it frozen Coke? And I, I, I don't know if one of the employees saw me or something. I was like, oh, did you want a frozen Coke? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like falling over, saying he was sorry. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. This is my bad timing. And he goes, thanks for being nice about it. What? It's a frozen Coke that cost me $1.79. I'm going to get upset about that. Apparently some people do. Look, church, you ought to be the most gracious, hopeful people on the face of the planet. The least you can do is be kind about stuff. Now I understand from time to time things go wrong. I get it. And sometimes you've got to stand up for yourself. I understand that too. But I find that I get a lot more response if I'm just kind to people. That's care and encouragement. Because everybody is dealing with challenge. Everybody is dealing with difficulty. And some of those people that you come in contact with are dealing with tragedy. So if we could just start from a position where we're all living in this fallen and broken world and nobody gets out of this untouched by it and I'm messed up and you're messed up and we just start there and have a little grace for each other, this goes a whole lot better, I think. I think this is really an important thing to think about. What we need most is not to withdraw, but we need some care and encouragement. And at Thrive Church, we find that primarily in community. And we talk about about this. Um, Community happens for us in a variety of different places, but um, usually happens in our house churches or small groups, that kind of thing. Or um, it can also happen in in, um, meet and greets on Sunday from 5 to 6.30 with tasty, tasty snacks. See what I did there? (laughs) Yeah. It's counterintuitive because what we want to do is we want to go inward. And, and what we really usually need is we need to borrow strength from the group. Because look, here's the thing. is like if you're going through it and you're in the midst of it and you don't have enough strength, hey, tell you what, borrow some of mine, okay? You need faith? I'll help you out with that. You need some wisdom? I'm not sure I have any, but I'll try. Dumb looks are free. I'm good at those. But when we have this idea of community, and we're drawing strength from the group, 
and we're getting ready to, to tackle something ma- um, uh, difficult. I think that's called resiliency. And I think we need to build some resiliency. Because I don't know if you've been watching the news, but it's crazy out there. I mean, this is nuts. I'm sure that, you know, you've experienced things at the gas pump, although prices are coming down, which is cool. But the point is, is that, you know, we're all talking about it. Um, last month uh, in June, we were um, traveling. I don't, I don't know if I've said it in, um, here at church, but we were uh, traveling up to Michigan, and we stopped at a, um, uh, a truck stop just west of Chicago, and I was talking with one of the managers, and I said, and I, I think gas was like five seventy nine at that point, and we were paying for something here in Oklahoma. But I said, how long have you been paying over five bucks for a gallon of gas? And she and she told me um, that it had been several weeks, and she said, but the 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 real issue is that we're discussing ten dollars a gallon by the end of August. What? That's nuts. And I'm sure it's, I, I know it's, it's higher for diesel in certain parts of the country. Anyway, have you noticed that the shelves in the grocery store aren't quite as full as they used to be, right? <coughs> Prices are going up because you can't get certain products and the demand. Try buying a car. Some of you are trying to buy houses and you know that that's been an issue too. I mean, it, it's just the choices that are being made by people in charge, whatever that means, are not helping. And I think, I believe in my heart that things are going to get worse before they get better. And if that's the case, we need each other more than anything else. You think you need people now, you just wait. Talk to your grandparents or your great-grandparents about living through the depression and the things that they had to do in order to survive, not just thrive, but to survive, and you'll know what I'm talking about. The, the point that I'm trying to make here is, is that where is your stronghold? Who is with you in the stronghold? Because you will need them even if you don't now. You probably do, but you're definitely going to need them in the future. And so what are you doing to build those relationships, to build that resiliency, to build that community that we all need just as human beings and probably are going to need more given the set of circumstances that the world is going through? Anybody feeling me here? I mean, I think this is deeply, deeply important. Can't be isolated. We need the resiliency of each other. You see, once you have your stronghold and once you have the people around you who can care for and encourage you and you, in turn, care for and encourage them when, when the time is right, see, then you can plan. Then you can make your inquiries of the Lord and then you can mount your offensive, whatever that is. Don't do it by yourself. That's just nuts. Try to build some of that resiliency. Let me pray. God, you have given us these stories in history. They mostly testify to your your greatness and your goodness, your power, your authority your splendor, your beauty, your majesty, all of those things, but they also teach us lessons on how we should live. And I pray, Lord, that as we um, 
think about things like community and and we think about things like the world in which we live right now and the craziness that we would dig deeply into your word to, to find these types of things. And Lord, that not only would we isolate ourselves to try to, to, try to figure those things out, but that we would access the people around us so that we can, can, we can actually care, care for and encourage one another because that's biblical. That's the kingdom of God. That's the economy of God. That's who you are. You exist in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so you have made us for community because we each bear the imprint of the, dis- of the divine and we too are made for community. And that may look different from person to person, but Lord, that's what you put inside of us. And I pray, Lord, that every person who is seated here or who is watching online would begin to think about the type of community they really want to be a part of. Not that they're doing it out of fear, but they're doing it out of the faith that this is how you've created them to be. And I pray, Lord, as they think about what their stronghold is, they would wrestle with these things deeply and realize very quickly that your name is the strong tower and you have put other people around them who love them. And God, I also have this deep, deep sense that there are people still struggling to hear your voice. I felt this way last week, I feel this week, same, same this week. I feel like I need to remind them that of course they can hear your voice. Otherwise, they never could have become Christian. But you're always speaking. So open our ears, God, to hear what you have to say. Open our eyes to the people that you've put around us. And Lord, help us to pay attention to the love that's actually in our hearts for each other because we're going to need it. But I thank you, God, that you put these stories and you put these thoughts together and you encourage us because you're a good God. Nothing is impossible with you. You settled everything at the cross. And for whatever reason, we get to be a significant part of the things that you're doing on earth. I pray, Lord, that we would lean into that now more than ever. And I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.